Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again, and welcome back to the podcast which celebrates growing up in Britain during the 1970s, and the central part that TV played in our family lives. Thanks for joining me again as we head down memory lane and go back to simpler times. Thanks again to Mark, our guest presenter on the last podcast, and his fabulous trip into the world of stirring theme tunes. They certainly caused a lot of debate amongst our listeners And a quick reminder for you that you can listen to all of the tunes discussed by Mark by visiting Spotify and searching for the My 70s TV Childhood soundtrack playlist. I'd love to hear what 70s theme tunes inspired you, or, for that matter, your thoughts on anything we've covered in our programmes to date. Share them with us at www.my70stvchildhood.com Tweet at 70s TV Childhood, or email me, Oliver, at my70stvchildhood.com. As I sit recording this episode, it's Thanksgiving week in the US, and whilst that tradition hasn't yet reached the UK, what we do have is Black Friday, and the associated retail frenzy which comes with it. I don't know about you, but I've been inundated with Black Friday offers from just about everyone I've ever shopped with online. And, with non-essential shops still closed for business in England, I'm sure many people will be taking advantage. The already beleaguered bricks and mortar retail sector is taking another battering from the current pandemic. And, like many other things, I don't think it's going to be the same again. Which got me thinking... Growing up in 1970s Britain was a very different retail proposition than today. There was no online shopping, far fewer shoppers with credit cards, hardly any large shopping centres and a much bigger variety of local retailers. Most shops were open between 9 o'clock in the morning and 5 or 5.30 in the afternoon, Monday to Saturday, Sunday opening being illegal. That meant that if you were working all day, you could only go shopping on a Saturday, and town centres across the country were besieged by hordes of shoppers, as this was the only time that many people could actually get there. Shops also had half-day closing, which, for some of our incredulous younger listeners, meant that all shops in a town closed one weekday afternoon every week. It was all very different to what we're used to in more normal times, with shops open seven days a week and in the evening. I've mentioned in an earlier episode that my paternal grandfather ran a gentleman's outfitter's shop in Lee in Lancashire, where half-day closing was on a Wednesday. That, in part, explained why my parents got married in Lee on a Wednesday afternoon in 1957. My grandfather, always a shrewd businessman, didn't want to lose half a day's takings by having to shut up shop on a busy Saturday. My earliest memories of shopping 
were going with my mother to the local shops in Padgate, just outside Warrington, where I spent the early years of my life. I vividly remember going to the butcher's shop, where the butcher, complete with striped apron and straw boater, just like Corporal Jones in Dad's Army, would attend to my mother's order and then pack up the meat and sausages and whatever else he had and tell my mother that the boy will bring it round later, Mrs Colling, and that he'd put it on the account. What revolutionary ideas? Home delivery and payment on account. Amazing that half a century later, Tesco, Ocado, Sainsbury's and the rest of the supermarkets are doing just what our local shopkeepers did back then. I also remember going to Hartley's, the village grocer, and facing the first retail dilemma I ever had. If I was lucky, my mother would give me a threepenny bit to buy a sweet or a chocolate treat, and I was always torn between fruit gums and Milky Way, the sweet you can eat between meals without ruining your appetite, both of which cost threepence. More often than not, I remember the fruit gums won, but it was a real close thing. For more exciting and bigger purchases, you had to take a trip into town, which meant Warrington for my family. There were a huge variety of shops in the town centre, or so it seemed to me as a small child. There were several family-owned department stores, including Broadbent's and Hancock and Woods, which I believe still exists to this day. These were the height in elegant shopping in a small northern town, and you could just about get anything there. Broadbent's was on several floors and seemed to be staffed by a mixture of formidable middle-aged women, serious-looking men in dark suits, and young men and women who appeared to be either giggling with each other or looking totally and utterly bored to death. One marvellous thing I remember about that shop is that when you bought something, the shop assistant who served you wrote out a form on a machine which sat in a wooden box. They then turned a handle on the side and two copies came out, one for you, the customer, and one which they would hold on to. You then had to take the paper docket to the cashier who sat in a wooden box in the middle of the shop and hand over your cash to them. They then attached a receipt to your docket And once that was done, you could go back and collect your purchases. It seemed like something from ancient history then, but the fact a system like this still existed in the 1970s is truly amazing. My paternal grandmother managed a department store in Lee called Danby's, which had closed in the 50s or 60s, and I always pictured it being like that, but surely not in the 1970s. The Warrington Cooperative Society a.k.a. the co-op, had its own department store, which had a food shop on the ground floor and their own antiquated process for buying milk tokens. After we'd moved from Padgate, close to the centre of Warrington, we had our milk delivered to the doorstep by the co-op milkman. Very convenient. But that convenience came at a price, in that, for some reason, the milkman couldn't take cash so you had to go into town and buy tokens for milk to use on the doorstep, thus negating part of the convenience. Perhaps some listeners might be able to help me. 
Was there some kind of organised crime gang amongst milkmen in the 1960s in the northwest of England, which laundered its ill-gotten gains via doorstep collections? I'm assuming something like that forced the co-op to introduce the milk tokens. I can't really think of any other reason why they would do that. If you know the answer, do get in touch. Other highlights of a visit to the town were getting new shoes at Clark's Shoe Shop. Uh, No, not that one, but an independent shop owned by the Clark family, who was spelled differently, who had a fantastic machine to measure the size of your foot. I never tired of that. There was also the endless treasure trove of Warrington Market, where, as a seven-year-old, I imagine you could buy virtually anything you wanted, so great a variety of merchandise there was available. Food shopping was also done on the market, and at butchers and bakers. There wasn't a supermarket to speak of in the town, and my mother went to the shops on a regular basis to get fresh food and anything else she might need, as did most of our families. This all changed for us in the mid-1970s, when Fine Fair opened up a new hypermarket in Goulburn, which is about seven miles away from Warrington. It stayed open until eight o'clock on a Friday night. These new shops caused quite a sensation, as we weren't used to being able to buy in bulk and get all we needed under one roof, even if some people were a little suspicious of the idea, as it had, apparently come from France, where they'd had them for years. So, as a result, one Friday night a month, the whole family would climb into my father's beige Morris 1800 and head off to the promised land of Goulburn to do what was later immortalised by Peter Kay as the big shop. Pile them high, sell them cheap, was certainly the driver behind Fine Fair's hypermarket. Crates of popular household items were literally piled to the ceiling and we happily filled our trolley before cramming a month's worth of supplies into the boot of the car. Food shopping would never be the same again, especially for my mother. And I'm glad that she, like many other women of the time, didn't have to go shopping so regularly with the advent of the big supermarkets. The retail highlight for any child in the 70s was a trip to the big city. In my case, either Liverpool to the likes of George Henry Lee or to Kendall's, the pride of Manchester's Deansgate. These enormous shops were housed in spectacular, high-ceiling buildings and had uniformed commissionaires on duty at their doors. A trip to one of these temples of shopping was really something to remember, not least because there was a good chance that you might be able to visit the tea rooms which served spectacular cakes. These marvellous institutions were run with military precision, and it appeared that everyone knew their place, a bit like British society of the time. The limitations of class, rank and manners were perfectly encapsulated in the British department store, so it's no surprise that it proved to be the setting for one of the decade's most loved sitcoms, Are You Being Served? Are You Being Served was first screened in 1972 
and ran for 70 episodes until 1985. It was created by David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd and centred on the Grace Brothers department store. All the action took place entirely within the store itself, which was a great framing device, as it meant that the focus was on the characters themselves and how they behaved at work. In that sense, it was something that anyone who worked in or who had ever shopped in a large store could instantly relate to. Even the signature tune placed you straight into the lift as you heard the lift operator tell you about the delights of Grace Brothers to the accompaniment of chiming cash registers. And yes, department stores did have lift operators as well as commissionaires. Ground floor perfumery, stationery and leather goods, wigs and haberdashery, kitchenware and food going up. Do, 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 do. First floor telephones, gents' ready-made suits, shirts, socks, ties, hats, underwear and shoes going up. Do, 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 do. Second floor carpets, travel goods and beddings, materials and soft furnishing, restaurants and teas going down. Do, 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 do. And so on. Do you know, I'm back in that store already. After a slow start, it became incredibly popular, attracting audiences of over 20 million at its peak. A typical episode was a mix of innuendo, slapstick, and sight gags, usually involving clothes or mannequins. So why was it so popular? I think its popularity comes from a number of factors. Firstly, as mentioned earlier, it represented the tiers of British society and behaviours of the time. All the characters addressed each other by their proper titles, Mr, Mrs, Captain. Secondly, as all the action took place inside the store, there weren't any distractions to the main events. And thirdly, it was a great ensemble cast who played off each other memorably. Oh, and there was one other point, which often seems to be overlooked by the writers of some modern sitcoms. It was genuinely funny and had laughs for all members of the family. The main characters were well-defined and acted, such as Captain Peacock, the floor walker played by Frank Thornton. Peacock was an ex-military man, immaculately turned out, who engaged hapless customers and directed them to who could help them, invariably the words, "Uh, Mr Humphreys, are you free? To which the response was, I'm free, from John Inman's menswear assistant. That became his catchphrase, as the rather camp, gay-by-inference Humphreys. At the time, there was a lot of criticism from some parts of the gay community, for the rather stereotypical portrayal of the character. But equally, John Inman's portrayal of an openly gay man, only a few years after the decriminalisation of male homosexuality, was, in itself, a big step forward for British TV. Other staff in menswear included Mr Granger, played by Arthur Bruff, who was a crumbling, doddery, old-fashioned shop assistant, and Mr Lucas, played by Trevor Bannister, the young, womanising Jack the Lad character. Originally, it had been intended that Mr Lucas was to be the central character in the show, and episodes were to centre on his adventures. However, I think the writers soon changed their mind once they realised what a strong cast they had. The most formidable presence on the shop floor was the fearsome Mrs Slocum, 
played by the wonderful Molly Sugden. I only found out once we got a colour television in 1977 that her hair was a different colour in every episode and she always kept us amused by telling us tales of her pussy. Yes, I know. I had to mention it, as Mrs Slocum's pussy is probably the most famous recurring double entendre of the whole decade. Mrs Slocum was assisted by the lovely Miss Brahms, played by Wendy Richard, later to become Pauline Fowler in EastEnders, and she and her boss were a formidable match to the machinations of the menswear counter. To complete the picture, we also had the backroom staff, in the shape of Mr Mash, played by Larry Martin, and then Mr Harmon, played by the great Arthur English, in their brown overalls, bringing a bit of working-class socialism to the toffee-nosed snobs like Captain Peacock on the shop floor. Up in the offices sat the ineffectual and patronising Mr Rumbold, played by Nicholas Smith, who displayed dreadful management skills in trying to get his staff to do whatever he wanted them to do, never quite managing to succeed in whatever new scheme he was trying to introduce. So what were the plots? I really can't remember that much about them, other than a typical episode would involve a new product or a sales promotion, which invariably led Mr Humphreys or Mrs Slocum to be caught up in hilarious misadventures, usually wearing an outrageous costume. In some ways, the plots are less important than the memories I have of laughing and laughing as a family whilst watching the show. We always knew that whatever chaos had ensued during the half-hour episode, it would be resolved by the appearance of the store's owner, young Mr Grace, played by Harold Bennett, who would always show his gratitude by saying, You've all done very well. As well as being popular in the UK, the show was a huge hit in Australia and the US, where the cast were regularly mobbed by thousands of people whenever they made personal appearances. The show is still remembered fondly here today, and I noticed from today's TV schedule that it's being shown on UK Gold as I record this episode. The humour may be risque and rely too heavily on innuendo for some, and its stereotypical representation of some elements of sexuality were clearly products of its time, but it still remains a classic to many. As I mentioned earlier, the main thing about it was that it made us laugh, and, given what else was going on during the 1970s in the UK, that can only have been a good thing. So that concludes our brief look back at what it was like to go shopping in the 1970s and how that was captured by Are You Being Served? What are your memories of those old department stores and who were your favourites in the Grace Brothers staff? Let me know by leaving your comments at www.my70stvchildhood.com Tweet me at 70stvchildhood or email me oliver at my70stvchildhood.com I'm going to get back to Amazon's Black Friday promotions now. So take care and join me again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.
If you enjoyed listening, you can support the show by going to my Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash Oliver Colling and registering as a supporter. For £2 a month, you can join the Tufty Club, get a shout out on the show and have Bernard Cribbins narrate as you cross the road. For £5 a month, you can become a Blue Peter Badge member, get a shout out, appear as an interviewee on a future episode and get to dance in the young generation with Leslie Judd. All memberships are fully flexible and can be cancelled at any time. Your help is much appreciated. <laughs>